Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King and Andy Isco as we go against the spread on this week's college and pro football cards. And you didn't hear Jim Feist because Jim Feist has a bye week this week. So Jim will be not on the show this week, joining us next week. Instead, he'll be watching the show with us. And with that, let's get it started, Victor here. What do you say? Take a look at what happened last week in the world of college and pro football. Andy and I were talking a little bit on the show before we began. And how about the National Football League and this total new look that it seems to have this year? And uh, whether it's because of the referees and, you know, all of the, the, the penalties and the excessive amount of calls or the quarterbacks and so forth and whatnot. And then I, doing this week's Playbook Football Newsletter and looking at the card and saying, where are the quality games? I'm not even watching any quality games, <laughs> let alone seeing any on the card. What's your take, Victor, on, on that thought overall today? All right, we're going to miss Jim today with his uh, bye week. It, it might be me next week who's on the bye. We'll have more information, of course, a little bit later. Uh, a very exciting four-day uh, turkey weekend, obviously, um, uh, for our King Creole service and for our Totals Tip Sheet newsletter. In fact, uh, you see the headline here, a turkey weekend 5-0 and sweep. It was our first 5-0 and sweep of the Totals Tip Sheet newsletter this season. Thank you. Very, very uh, proud of that. Um, let's go. Ne needless to say, you gobbled up all the winnings. <laughs> with the Victor gobbled up all the money. Yes, he did. <laughs> Good, sure did. In chronological order, you know, we started things out on Thursday. And if you saw the um, title of last week's tip sheet, our very first ever Turkey Day, same game, totals triple play, in which we have over under selections, three of them in the same game. Tuchel played over 24 and a half first half, Dallas versus Washington on Turkey Day. They, they combined for 30 points. Good start. Tuchel played Dallas to score over 30 and a half points in that game. And, of course, they scored 45. You saw it. And, finally, we had a three-star legitimate play on the full game over the total, Dallas versus Washington. Final score, 45 to 10. So a perfect 3-0 with the same game totals triple play. Uh, also, we got to point out that the best bets now in the last four weeks, 11-1. And, and those are the three best bets that we put on page two of every week's newsletter. Of course, last week, Bill's Eagles over. That was a winner. You see the Commanders, Cowboys over. You see even Isabella Monkey brought home the bacon with the Ravens and Chargers under on Sunday night. So, again, we're very, very pleased with that. Uh, we even wrapped things up with our five-star NFL game of the month, which was on the Eagles and the Bills over 47.5 points. You know, we learn something with every game we bet, whether it's a win or whether it's a loss. We learn something. And my three takeaways from that Eagles-Bills game were, number one, Always have faith in your database, and I'm sure somebody will agree with me on that one. Number two, so. 
Trust the process. Thank you, Marcus Lemonis, for that. Trust your process. And finally, and most importantly, do not let a rainy forecast take you up and over. Maybe if it's a combined high wind rainy forecast, we might consider that. But that Bills-Eagles game was pretty much played in a downpour for basically the entire three hours, and they still combined for 71 points. So weather concerns in the NFL are overrated. People always overreact to weather in the NFL. They do, Victor. I see it lots of times when there are is either rain or snow in the forecast, and you see these totals start to plummet. Right. And all of a sudden they'll move three, four, five points. And you look up and the game had no problem getting over a total, much like you mentioned here mm-hmm. in the Buffalo-Philadelphia game with the rain, and largely because of the wind factor. You know, if the wind factor accompanies the rain or the snow, it's very, very meaningful. If it doesn't, as you said, yeah. it becomes a mood point, and there's probably value uh, in taking advantage of a situation like that when there is no wind in a football game. Andy, Victor mentioned uh, about the Philadelphia Buffalo Bills football game. And uh, my heart had to really go out to the Buffalo Bills in the contest here. I saw them play one of their best games of the season. And uh, I mentioned, I alluded a little bit in the beginning about some poor refereeing or poor play calling from the referees. And I I saw a ton of it in the Buffalo Bills game, Uh, especially down late when it counted. The one play in particular was the horse collar tackle that wasn't called. And it ended up not only being not called, it ended up being, uh, ended up being a uh, intentional grounding call against Josh Allen and took him completely, pushed him out of a gimme field goal to a, a, a long range field goal, which they missed. And then it being a turning point in the football game. What do you see going on, uh, Andy, as far as the refereeing goes in the national football league games this year, is it just me or is it just uh, uh, maybe I'm focusing in too much on the zebras and rather the games themselves, but it seems to be standing out more this year than ever. Well, it's, it's something I think we've been seeing and we talk about year after year after year. And, you know, memories are such that we often forget we were saying the same things last year about very similar plays. And I'm sure we'll be saying the same thing next year about similar plays. And what we have to and I think the NFL has some issues and we might get a chance to talk about it maybe later in this show or maybe next week. And that's uh, the lack of offense in the NFL. I think a lot of it has to do with all the restrictions in the rule book against offensive linemen. OK, they can't move before the snap. No such problem for the defensive linemen. They can do all that. The holding rules, they apply to the offensive linemen, not to the defensive linemen. So, therefore, it's become much more difficult to give time to the quarterback the enough protection because of the speed and the size of defenders. I mean, I think the average weight is probably up about uh, a pound a year over the past 50 years. The size has grown tremendously, and defensive linemen – Uh, defensive players in general tend to be faster than a lot of the guys on the offensive line that uh, the defensive linemen or the defenders at all are facing. So I think the NFL may need to consider tweaking some of the rules that limit what offensive linemen can do. Now, as far as the, uh, uh, the game that you talked about, uh, you know, the Buffalo-Philadelphia game, of course, the key play was the failure to hook up on that wide-open uh, pass that Buffalo had that would have resulted in a game-winning touchdown as they had the first possession. Uh, the, uh, uh, it might have been uh, yeah, a game-winning touchdown because they, they only rule in the playoff where the, the offense, uh, where the other team gets a chance to match an opening touchdown, and they had to settle for the field goal. But even then again, Buffalo still had the opportunity on defense to either prevent a tying field goal or what turned out to be the winning 
touchdown. So we can blame the refs for a lot of things. We can blame Buffalo's offense for a lot of things or, or even the referees for some of the calls that they obviously missed. But uh, Buffalo was still in possession, position rather, despite all that, to win that game or at least force an additional over additional possession in overtime, which likely would have either resulted in a Buffalo score or Buffalo holding the ball as the 10 minute period expired. And as a result, the Buffalo Bills run right now, as we're doing the podcast, the video cast are on the outside looking in at the National Football League players. I believe they're the number eight seed or maybe even the number 10 seed. And I think I know it's number 10. Some, number 10. Okay. Yeah. And they've got some work to do uh, here, obviously. You know, they need a little bit of help from other people and themselves as well. So it could be quite possible. We don't see the Buffalo Bills in the National Football League playoffs nor, this year. Nor, by the way, the Cincinnati Bengals. Right. So you'd have two of the top three favorites, along with Kansas City, missing out entirely on the playoffs, which means there might be some value in some of these other teams that we're accustomed to seeing. So if you've got an opinion now, now the odds on teams like Miami, the odds on teams like Baltimore have come down. But if you can pick maybe that third wild card team, uh, that uh, might make it in, or maybe it might be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, maybe it could be Cleveland with a little bit of a run, although they're in a similar position to several of these other teams. There might be some good value in betting the uh, uh, th that wildcard team. Or if you like what you see in the NFC, they've got that prop out for, I think, the NFC versus AFC. I forget what the line was. It's it's either either conference minus one, I think, either way. I'm not sure either the NFC or AFC that keeps switching. But if you like Dallas, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, you may want to make a little bit of a future bet because I would think that depending, unless it's Kansas City coming out of the AFC, and Kansas City is not as powerful an offensive team this year as they have been in the past, although their defense compensates for that, you might still be seeing a Super Bowl line with the NFC team favored by a field goal or more, depending upon if it's a team other than Kansas City, possibly Miami or Baltimore. It's looking more and more like the Baltimore Ravens are going to be a factor in the AFC playoffs as well, maybe even to overtaking Kansas City, which they are right now, I believe as we speak. They're the number one seed in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and who would have believed, guys, at the beginning of the season that I would have told you that Buffalo and Cincinnati wouldn't be in the playoffs, but perhaps Houston and Denver would be. Uh, that's a lot of what we're looking at this football season here. Uh, you know, a lot of turmoil, a lot of change, and I don't know if it's good or bad for the league, but uh, it's sure nice uh, wondering what's going to happen in the days moving forward in games like this. You know, you were talking, Mark, earlier about the fact that you didn't see too many quality games on the card this week. Obviously, the uh, Philadelphia-San Francisco game stands out, but you just mentioned two other teams that are facing each other with yes. possibly a wild card spot on the line, and that's uh, Denver at Houston. Right. Yep. What a huge game that ends up being, those two football teams, especially for the winner of the game. Uh, so, you know, they're both going to come with their A games. We'll find out how much of an A game they've got. But nonetheless, it's going to be probably one of the must-watch TV games this weekend in the National Football League. Guys, let's move it over to the college football side of things where the college football regular portion of the season concluded last week. Save Army-Navy, as we always do every year, but now we're moving into the college football conference championship games this weekend. And uh, let me ask you, Victor, was there anything that was surprising to you as far as the ending of the regular season went and as far as teams that made their conference championship and those that didn't? Well, you know, down here in uh, the Sunshine State, there was a lot of nervous fans. And Florida State and their Seminole fans, they can – pretty much exhale a little bit now that the Seminoles are a top four team, even without, of course, injured star Jordan Travis. 
You know, they had that shaky start last week against uh, in-state rival, the Florida Gators. But the playoff committee promoted the undefeated Seminoles to that number four spot. Uh, it probably validated the committee's belief that FSU's talent extends beyond Travis. But the move to number four also happened in part because of the spot opened up following the Ohio State loss to Michigan. And, of course, the bump up from number five, it, it kind of signifies the likelihood that Florida State will reach the playoff if it can beat number 14 Louisville in the ACC championship game. And, of course, uh, that's the case for all four of these undefeated teams who are ranked one, two, three, four right now. And it's basically win and you are in. But there is, a, of course, a big, big if to that. And according to uh, ESPN stats and information, there has not been four undefeated Power Five conference champions since the games began way back in 1992. Yeah, that would be unusual to find that this football season here, you know, the last year of the four-team playoff. And as we've been talking to and alluding to most of the season here, we're all wondering which of these one-loss teams would end up forging forward here and be the best of those the, out of the one-loss probability teams, the Texas's, the Ohio State or Michigan's, the Washington or Oregon football teams. Uh, which of those football teams, those one-loss teams, could make the playoff? And as you said, Victor, if Florida State wins, it's it's, it's not even a, a factor. They will be in the college football playoff, and all these one-loss teams will be in the outside wondering what happened to them along the way. Andy, any of your thoughts on the college football uh championship games this weekend before we tear one of these games apart this week anything that you thought was a little bit surprising or caught your attention uh, maybe the fact that louisville struggled against in rival in-state rival kentucky uh, they led it throughout that game a good part and ended up losing that game maybe looking ahead to this week's matchup with florida state i think in terms of what football fans would like to see and hopefully the committee would agree is for georgia washington uh, Florida State and uh, Michigan to uh, all win. And we would have four unbeaten teams that should be one, two, three, or four. What I think some fans would like to see is let's see Oregon knock off Washington. Let's see Louisville knock off Florida State. We won't see Iowa knock off Michigan. Uh, and we, uh, well, really could see Alabama knock off Georgia. Then you might just have that one unbeaten team in Michigan, and you'll have a host of one-loss teams. How do you decide perhaps between Oregon and uh, Washington? Oregon probably would get the edge over Washington uh, despite losing the regular season game because of their play down the stretch. How do you decide between one-loss Texas and a one-loss uh, Alabama, considering they played each other and uh, Texas won that game on the road, albeit early in the season? Uh I think that would be, uh, you know, I think you would then have a, a legitimate reason perhaps to not include Louisville or Florida State as they would both have one loss. And then that might open it up for maybe a second team uh, like a, uh, an Ohio State, like perhaps a, um, uh, an Alabama, or well, I guess in this case it would be a Georgia if Alabama pulled the upset. So uh, it, it could be a very interesting weekend. I wasn't 
terribly surprised at a lot of things that happened last week. Maybe a little bit surprised at Oklahoma State needing a win to get into the Big 12 championship game, trailing BYU basically the whole whole game and needing that extra time to get the win. And you wonder if that might uh, do them a little, little bit this week against a Texas team that has been playing extremely well all season, but for that that uh, one slip up against Oklahoma in that annual rivalry back in early October. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these one-loss teams fare in the college football conference championship games this week. Will they keep their foot on the pedal in hopes of impressing the committee and maybe perhaps waiting for perhaps Florida State to fall in a situation like that, and then all of a sudden we've got controversy, and there'll be controversy aplenty, which we'll talk about next week. But with that, guys, let's move over to our featured college football championship play of the week this week. And we're going to go inside the Big Ten Conference, where not a lot of people are going to give the Iowa Hawkeyes a chance against the Michigan Wolverines. But we're not here about the chance they're going to have. We're here about the point spread and whether or not they can cash the ticket in this football game. And by the way, this college football game of the week is being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv, where every Friday night it's minus 105 juice on every play you make all weekend long. That's uwager.lv to pick up minus 105 juice on every football play you make this weekend. Log on now or give them a call toll-free at 1-800-U-WAGER. Victor, what do you see happening in this football game? I know one thing going in here. We've got two very, very rock-solid defenses coming in here, but and I haven't even looked to see what the over-under total is, but I've seen these Iowa totals this year. And they've been scarily low in this football game. What are we looking at for a total, and how do you see it shaking out? It opened the uh, Iowa-Michigan game, the Big Ten Championship. It opened somewhere around 36 to 35 and a half. And I just checked a couple of minutes ago, and it's down to 35. And, folks, that is the lowest total ever in a conference championship in this week's Big Ten game. Uh, prior to this season, the previous low in a championship game was 38.0. That was back in 2015, the SEC title game between Alabama and Florida. Alabama uh, won that game 29-15. to 15. It did end up going over by just about a touchdown. Of course, we all know what we're getting in the Hawkeyes. Uh, since 2019, they've gone 19 and 40 over under in all games. And of course this season alone, amazingly nine of their 12 games have failed to reach 35 or more combined points with Michigan favored by about what? 23 and a half and the over under line at 35. That gives us an implied score of Michigan, 28 and a half, Iowa, six and a half. So there you have it. Iowa's team total is six and a half. If they score a touchdown and an extra point, there's a decent chance this game actually does go over the total. A lot easier said than done. The over-under line in the first half of this game uh, is uh, 19 and a half. What we will say is, first off, this game does qualify in that over-the-total situation I mentioned last week, and it is – Basically, when you have an over-under line that's 12 or 13 points less than the actual point spread, then you want to consider the over in these games. It happened last week in Alabama's game. It normally happens in these FBS versus FCS games. 
In that game, I think Bama was favored by 45, and the over-under line was 55. So you were off by just 10 points, and that game did indeed go over. Uh, same thing here. With Michigan favored by 23 and a half, and the over-under line at 35, we're at a margin of about 11 and a half, 12 points. So it does qualify in that 70% over the total situation. Again, I haven't played in Iowa overall season long, and I don't know if I have the nuts to do it this week. But we'll say this. Conference championship games that have totals of 48 or less have gone 18 and 9 over under. That's 67% over the total. Conference championship games with a total of 45 or lower have actually gone 90% over the total in the last 10 years. Nine overs, only one under. That's where we're at in this particular game. Uh, call it a lean, call it an opinion, but right now the numbers in the database indicate that Michigan wins this game like 34 to 7, maybe 34 to 10, 31 to 10, which would actually give us a little bit of value on the over. Victor sees a little bit of value to the over in this football game between these two defensive juggernauts. If for nothing else, a lot of value to the low total in the football game. And Andy, I got to share this with you, and I'm going to ask your opinion on this. One of my very, very dearest friends. His name was Larry Miller. We call him Southern Comfort in the industry, and he was long associated with Playbook for the longest time as a handicapper, and he was a really strong handicapper. In fact, he and uh, Billy Walters uh, did a lot of activity together back and forth moving money. And he shared with me, Larry did one time, about one of his favorite plays in all of football, especially college football, were, were games where they had a big spread in a low total. And if you were to play the dog – in those big spread, low total games. And if you asked your dog to score, in this case, it would be Iowa to score six points. And you played this game over the total. You cannot lose both games if Iowa gets their six points. Uh, what's your concept on, on a theory or a thought like that? Do you think Iowa has six points in them to put up in this football game? And if they do, if you felt confident enough about it, would you play Iowa in the over? This is just too funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting because my natural gravitation is to underdogs in most of these conference championship games when the line is seven or higher, even 10 or higher is even better. So my first start is to look at Iowa and uh, can they, what can they do in this game? Can they get to seven points? Well, the last time these two teams, I don't know if it was the last time these two teams played, but two years ago, it was an Iowa-Michigan matchup in the Big Ten Championship. Iowa was a better offensive team in that season, though that's not saying very much because it didn't take very much to be better than this year's Iowa's offensive team. Michigan won that game 42-3. to uh, So we know that Michigan is capable of scoring against good defensive teams, and Iowa still had trouble against a good defensive team. So I'm looking at this game, and I figure, well, this will be by far the best offense Iowa will have faced this season. And it may very well be, but not necessarily the best defense that Michigan has faced this season after having already faced Penn State and Ohio State, uh, where they were able to score uh, points in both of those games. Michigan scored late. I think the final was, what, 24 to 9 or 24 to 12 or something like that in that game against Penn State uh, on, the, uh, on the road. 
So I'm expecting Michigan to get some scoring done in this game. I don't know if it'll be as much as 42 to three. I, I think the way that I might approach it is the way that uh, uh, Victor mentioned, can Iowa get a touchdown in this game? Now, if they're down 30, uh, say uh, 28 to nothing or, or something like that, will they still try if they're being shut out in the late third quarter of that game? Or will they just resign themselves that, hey, it's the same old Iowa team that we've seen all year? Uh, or will they come back and be, will they be able to keep it competitive? So what I actually might look for in this game, in addition to possibly going over the team total with Iowa, if I can come up with it, is to look at the under in the first half, where I think that Iowa may have its best chance to be competitive, hold Michigan down until they figure out exactly what schemes that Iowa is using. If Iowa is able to at least have some sort of a semblance of a three to five minute drive where they make maybe two or three first drives before their inevitable punt, uh, you know, three or four first downs before they make their inevitable punt. Maybe we get out of the uh, first quarter with a very, you know, low scoring, maybe uh, uh, six to three or something like that, or six to nothing. So I might take a look at the uh, under in the first half based upon a slow start in the first quarter. I don't, I, Victor, I, I haven't seen what the first quarter total is, uh, but I have to believe it's single digits in this one. Uh, I'd be surprised if it were 10 and a half. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised at uh, nine and a half considering the nature of the two teams in this game. So it's difficult for me to find a reason to play Iowa, not simply because of, but when I consider how bad Iowa has been in their games this year offensively, and yet they've still been defensively and been competitive. The fact that they won, what, 10 games with that offense is absolutely amazing, and I don't care if they're playing FBS, FCS, or high schools. To have that bad of an offense and get 10 wins is pretty amazing, pretty solid on that. Now, uh, at the same time, going back to that game two years ago where it was 42-3 to in uh, such an important game as, as this one is makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Another way I'll, I'll look at it, if I play Iowa and they don't cover, will I feel worse about that than if I played Michigan and they don't cover? I'd probably feel worse about playing Iowa and they not covering because I should have seen all along we're asking Iowa to really do something offensively against the best defense they've seen that they hadn't been able to do all year. Well, it's like saying, does Iowa have the ability to score in this football game? You know Michigan does. Yeah. So the question is, can Iowa score in the football game? I'll give you one incentive here for Iowa that I think that they will come and play in the game for a couple of them. Number one, you do have Michigan beating Ohio State, their big rival. And if you go look at Michigan in games after they've taken on Ohio State, they're just 8-15-1 to the spread. Most times, often in bowl games thereafter, but still struggling to the spread after playing Ohio State. Wasn't that the case, though, two years ago when they followed that game with Ohio State with that blowout of Iowa? I think that was uh, just two years ago. And I think that was the first of the three wins against Ohio State, which meant it was an even bigger possible negative situation going into that uh, game against Iowa. For sure. The other thing that I see here to the Iowa side is Kurt Ferentz in his career with Iowa has played with what we call triple revenge exact, meaning he's lost three times in a row to an opponent, not more than three, uh, just three exact, call it Y3, yes, revenge three. Kirk Ferentz with triple revenge exact with Iowa. He's been in those games nine times. He's not lost to the spread in any of them. He's 8-0-1 against the spread, looking to avenge three losses in a row within a series to a conference opponent. 
Uh, I think they're, they're going to find a, a little bit more of a charged up Iowa football team here and a Michigan football team. And it goes to this, uh, this, this uh, I always fall back on this. It's can Michigan possibly be as up for this football game this week as they were for Ohio state last week? I don't think so. I really don't. I know there's a lot on the line with the football playoffs, but we're not talking about whether or not they're going to win this game. We're talking about whether or not they're going to cover this game. And they were geeked to the max, especially J.J. McCarthy. I mean, he had it in for Ryan Day from the get-go, and Ryan Day just spurned him when he drafted him, and they kicked him aside to the curb at the very end and didn't sign him. But I think it's going to be real difficult for Michigan to be up to that same level this week against Iowa that they were next, especially knowing that on deck is a trip to the college football playoff. I like Iowa plus the points in this football game, and I'll even play Southern Comfort's play in this football game. Give me Iowa and go over the total, figuring I'm not going to lose out on both sides of that football play. Hey, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And we're being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where it's 75% free play and 125% casino bonus at uwager.lv. You get the 75% free play with one-time rollover. You get the 125% casino bonus with a 40-time rollover. To take advantage, log on at uwager.lv or give them a call toll-free at 1-800-U-WAGER. And with that, guys, let's move over to the National Football League side of things where we've got, I think what shrunk the card a little bit this week, guys, is the fact that there are quite a few bye week teams this week. We usually don't see this many. We didn't see any at all in the Thanksgiving week, but we've got a handful of them this week, so it's kind of shrunk the card a little bit. you got a Thursday game, uh, but nonetheless – we have a matchup of two teams here that I think there's a lot of importance weighing in this football game, and that will be when the Cleveland Browns take on the L.A. Rams. And suddenly, Victor, the L.A. Rams are alive in the playoff chase. The Cleveland Browns are trying to hang on in the playoff chase. What's your take on the Browns and Rams this week, Victor? Right. You know, Rams looked really good last week in that uh, road win against the Cardinals, 457 offensive yards uh, for the Rams. You, you, you better believe it. They are uh, definitely – right back in it. And Mark, you're right. There are six teams in the NFL who are off with their bye week this week. Uh, you're not going to see more teams than that. This is one of the two six team bye weeks that are still upcoming. And uh, you're right in terms of quality NFL play this week as well. Still, it's the Browns and the Rams. At this stage of the podcast, again, we're recording the podcast on Wednesday afternoon. We still do not know who's going to be starting quarterback for the Browns. Uh, we know that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is in concussion protocol. He's probably not going to play. So that means either P.J. Walker or the veteran who came aboard last week, Joe Flacco, getting the start for the Cleveland Browns. That's who I'm hearing it's going to be, Victor, is Joe Flacco. I, was, I heard that today. I'm hoping that is indeed the case, and I'm saying that because I like this game over the total – and, uh, again, it takes some nuts to bet a Cleveland Browns game uh, over the total. But you want to take a look at some of these eye-popping numbers. If this were Cleveland hosting the game uh, right there on Lake Erie, we would probably be thinking the other way. I say that because Cleveland home games this season have averaged only 29.0 combined points per game, and they've gone a perfect 0-5-1 over-under. However... The Browns are the only road team, the only team in the league 
that's gone over the total in every single road game this season. They played five mm -hmm. games on the road. All five of them have gone over the total. Not only that, but the average points per game are almost double what they are averaging at home. At home, only 29.0 combined points per game. Cleveland's road games, 54.3 combined points per game. Uh, last week's game on the road against Denver went over the total as well. So with a line down in the area of 39 to 39 and a half, it basically means a 23 to 17, 24 to 17 Rams win would put this game over the total. And the, the signature situation that has got me the most excited in our database uh, has us looking at non-conference games in which the over-under line is on the low side, like it is in this particular game. And here's what it comes up with now. Uh, we're going back 10 seasons, 24 overs, only four unders for any NFC conference home favorite of greater than a field goal. That's the Rams taking on an AFC opponent in the Browns when the over-under line is 41 or less points. And in the last five years alone, these games have actually gone a perfect 8-0 and to the over. Again, we don't know who's quarterbacking. I'm hoping it's Joe Flacco. I have a little bit more confidence that he can get the Browns to 17 or more points in this particular game. And we're actually going to be going over the total in the late afternoon Cleveland versus Rams game out on the West Coast. Andy, what do you think the Browns and the Rams here? Are the Rams a viable playoff contender? Are the Browns slipping away from their position because of all their injuries and their quarterback situations? Or do you think Cleveland can make a U-turn in this football game? I think the answer to the first two questions are yes and yes. I think the Rams now healthy, you know, uh, with Cooper Cup and uh, Williams, who made a big difference last mm. week, had a big game last week, uh, augurs well for the Rams. I was looking to play Cleveland, but now with the quarterback issue, I mean, Thompson likely is, is not going to play. And Flacco, will he be rusty? That might actually help Victor's over because he might throw some interceptions <laughs> or some poor passes after uh, not seeing action in quite some time. Appreciate. But but it's also, and this is, may also help the over, what's the condition of Miles Garrett? What's he, is he going to be cleared to play? Will he play? Will he be All a right. late scratch? And that which keeps me off Cleveland. That doesn't necessarily know, mean that I'm going to be on the Rams, but right now that's the way I'm looking. And even if Garrett does play, and that line would might perhaps go from three and a half down to three. I might still like the Rams in that spot. I think that fundamentally uh, they've got things pretty much together now. We know that uh, uh, McVay already a Super Bowl winning and, and losing coach uh, in his uh, uh, time there with the uh, uh, with the Rams. Um, Stafford proven quarterback i think they'll they'll have an uh, an edge at that position and the rams still have a solid defense which is made even better when the offense is fully healthy so uh, i'm looking at the rams but i, I can't commit to it until unless a i get three points and it's a little bit more uh, uh, certain about uh, miles garrett i'm thinking he's probably more likely than not to miss the game but i want to i want to wait for some sort of more uh, verification on that well, what I heard today about Miles Garrett, Andy, is that uh, he likely will play, that the injury was not as bad as they thought it was, and he's likely to be on the field for the football game, which is huge news for the Cleveland Browns, especially their defense. Uh, they're going to need him because they have to make all sorts of adjustments without him 
and play without arguably the best defensive player in the National Football League. Taking a look at the Browns, we talked about Joe Flacco and all that rust. You know, his last start was uh, with the New York Jets uh, last year, last game of the season last year. So he hasn't been gone like for an eternity, uh, but he's old enough to have thought he's been gone for an eternity. Uh, the one thing that he's done well in his career, he's been a really good road dog in his career. He's 34 and 24 to the spread, taking points on the road as Joe Flacco in his career. You got the Browns have been a really nice bounce back team here. The last six games they played when they got coming off a straight up an ATS loss, they bounced back and won the money all six times. They've also cashed in seven of the last eight games at NFC non-conference opponent sites. And you have the Rams coming in here. I know they're looking good. Is it a mirage? That's the question here. Uh, because they haven't really been able to sustain or keep things together here. There's one and seven to the spread when they come off a straight up an ATS win. And they have struggled against the AFC North teams where Cleveland lives. Oh, five and one against the spread. I'm going to take the points with Cleveland in the football game and hope that Miles Garrett joins me and plays this football game as well. Hey, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. Our good friend Jim Feist is off this week on a bye week. Normally we would play Jim's pre-recorded uh, session for you on the show here, but you can pick up Jim's recorded messages and overviews and previews at the Playbook Experts YouTube channel or also at playbooksports.com. Check that out for Jim Feist videos this week, if you will. With that, let's hop over to Victor King's pre-recorded segment. Victor's going to take a look on the NFL over-under review and preview as he does each and every week. Greg, if you would, take it away. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from Mark Lawrence's PlaybookSports.com, the author of the Totals Tip Sheet newsletter. And you see the headline there of this week's Totals Tip Sheet. We are off of our best week of the season, a turkey weekend 5-0 sweep last week for the total tip sheet. And in fact, we had our very, very first same game totals triple play, and it went a perfect 3-0. It was in the Dallas-Washington game last Thursday as we played over in the first half. That was a winner. Over in the game, that was a winner and Dallas to score over 30 and a half points. That was a winner as well. <clears throat> yes, I'm getting all choked up after that three and O same game totals, triple play. And you also see there in the headline, our best bets in the newsletter now 11 and one in the last four weeks. We're in the hottest portion of the season in terms of our results. You definitely want to check out, this week's uh, edition of the Total Tip Sheet for some more over-under winners. So let's talk about last week, if we can. You know, for a while there, it looked like week 12 of the 2023 NFL season would be the highest-scoring one of the entire year. That's because all three of the Thursday Thanksgiving games ended up going over the total, and so did the Black Friday afternoon game between the Dolphins and the Jets also went over. But you must apply a little bit of context here. Let's not forget that in all four of these games, there was at least one defensive or special teams touchdown in each one of those four games. If we remove those freak scoring plays, we may have ended up going 0-4 
over under instead of 4-0. Either way, the Sunday early kickoff results definitely put a stop to that beginning 4-0 streak because those 1 o'clock games on Sunday, there were six of them, one over, five unders. One and five over under in the Sunday early kickoff games with an average of only 33.5 combined points per game. The surprising part was that the late afternoon games, you know, those games that started 4.05 Eastern or later, all four of those games ended up going over the total with a very high average of 52.7 points per game. The highlight, of course, was our five-star game of the month winner on the Bills and the Eagles over the total. We thank all who joined us for that particular play. Now, what was not surprising was the fact that the Sunday and Monday night games once again went under the total. That would be that uh, Chargers-Ravens game on Sunday night and, of course, the Monday night game as well. In fact, those Sunday night and Monday night games have now gone a perfect 0-15 and 15 in the last 15 games. That's right. The last 15 Sunday night, Monday night games have been zero overs, 15 unders. If you like betting your overs in the nighttime games, stick to Thursday perhaps, but stay away from the Sunday night and Monday night games as they've now gone 2-23 and 23 over under on the season. So that's kind of your review from last week. There was overall nine overs. There was seven unders. It was only the second weekend all season long, in fact, in which there were more overs than unders. The average OU line last week was 42.7. Average combined points was only 41.3. For the season now in the NFL, overall results, 73 overs, 106 unders, that's 59% under the total with a low average of only 43.2 combined points per game. That's the NFL average for the season this year, just 43.2 combined points per game. Let's look ahead this week here, week 13 in the NFL. First off, I want to address the fact that we got a couple more of these games with a low over-under line. And in the last five years now, NFL games with a low over-under line of 37 or less points have gone 8 and 28. That's eight overs, 28 unders in the last five years. There are two of these low-line games this week in which we will be looking to go low, as in the under, and that's the Falcons at the Jets game and the Panthers at the Buccaneers game. We'll wrap things up here in week 13 with a pretty decent free play. And what it is, is we want to go low when any team is off back-to-back -back underdog wins in a row. Uh, last weekend, two teams in the NFL won their consecutive game in a row as underdogs. That would be the Green Bay Packers, first off, who beat Detroit, of course, on Turkey Day as an underdog and the Chargers as a home underdog the week before that. The other team is the New York Giants, who beat the Patriots last week and Washington two weeks ago. A recent pattern in our database. 
tells us to play the under for these teams in their next game. In the last three years, five overs, 24 unders for any NFL team who's off back-to-back underdog wins in a row. Now, the Giants don't play this week. They are on a bye. We'll look to go low next week when they play the Packers. However, the Packers, the other team that's off two underdog wins in a row, are playing this week. They're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. That is your free play for this week. The Chiefs and the Packers under the total. We're going to play right into that 5-24 and 24 over-under situation. Not to mention, folks, it is a Sunday night game. And, of course, these Sunday night games now have gone 2-11 and 11 over-under on the season. So your free play for week 13, we're going under in the Sunday night game once again. We did it last week in the Chargers-Ravens game. We're going again this week. Packers and the Chiefs under the total. That's going to be your free play for week 13 in the NFL. That'll do it for this week. Now, I may not be with you guys next week. We may have to go back up to Ohio for seven to ten days. Uh, If that is the case, best of luck. Let's get back to the Mark Lawrence podcast. And again, Uh, Best of luck this weekend with all your NFL Week 13 action. Once again, as always, great job, Victor King, when it comes to over-under totals, reviews, and previews. Pick up the copy of that Red Hot Totals tip sheet. I would have a tip sheet in my hand right now. (laughs) I could say say it's too hot for me to hold, but the truth (laughs) of the matter is I haven't printed it out yet. But I do have have the PDF copy of it. Get yourself a copy for the Red Hot Totals tip sheet this week, just in time for the NFL football games. And with that, let's move over to Andy Isco, as we do each and every week here, where, Andy, we we do our live line moves segment on the show. And as you know, Andy does a great job keeping us in tune with all the major contests that are going on in Las Vegas. You can pick up Andy's contest update at playbooksports.com or here on the Playbook Experts YouTube channel for the Andy Isco standalone contest report. Andy, you've got some major line moves in the National Football League. I know you'd like to share with us this week. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. There are a number of games involved now. I'm I'm not certain if uh, we will be posted before the start of the Thursday night game, but I'll mention these line moves uh, just to... Uh, just to to uh, put it on the record between the uh, Dallas Cowboys and Seattle Seahawks, one of the more, at least going in, one of the more attractive uh, Thursday night matchups that we've had. Uh, the advanced line on this game on Tuesday, November 21st, before the playing of the Week 12 games, including before the Thanksgiving Day games, had Dallas a seven-point favorite with a total of 46. Uh, after the games on Sunday, uh, well, of course, Seattle played Thursday, as did Dallas. In fact, that's one of the nice things that the NFL got right. They're making a Thursday night game between two teams, one of whom played a week ago and one of them uh, did not have to play on Sunday, also played a week ago in the holiday week. The game reopened at 7, and the immediate movement was up uh, for the Cowboys from 7 up to a 9-point home favorites. Interested because both teams are in somewhat of sandwich situations in between some key games that come up. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Seattle is in the middle of a sandwich, 49ers, uh, Dallas, uh, and uh, then the 49ers again next week, and uh, the Cowboys are in between uh, their game against Washington, a division rival, and then the game against Philadelphia uh, next week uh, at home. So it'll be an interesting game, but so far the early money showing on Dallas. Uh, Indianapolis at uh, Tennessee. Uh, this game is interesting because there was an early line move uh, that uh, continued. Uh, the advanced line had the Titans one and a half, uh, excuse me, one point favorites 
over the uh, Indianapolis Colts, uh, one-point home favorites. And before the game was taken down, the line had switched to the Colts being one-point road favorites. When the line was reposted, the Colts were installed as two-and-a-half-point road favorites over the uh, Titans. And since then, that line has actually bet, been bet down to where it was a pick em, and then it has risen up again to where the Colts are now a one-point favorite, which is the line that existed before the game was taken off the board prior to Sunday's uh, action. Andy, uh, does, the, that, does that line move uh, to the Colts, the favorite, surprise you any at all with Jonathan Taylor being ruled out for the football game? Uh, I think that that may be uh, why we saw this line come back down to pick him after being reposted at two and a half, but that line has since gone back up. I'm thinking the move is more against Tennessee than it is on Indianapolis, although obviously the Taylor factor, although they've had some decent running backs uh, in his place even earlier in this season. So, But I do think it's more anti-Tennessee than uh, positive on the gotcha. uh, on the Colts. Chargers at the Patriots. Interesting in this one, the advanced line last Tuesday had the Chargers a four-and-a-half-point road favorite at New England. That game was bet down before it got taken off the board for Sunday to a four. When it was reposted, there was an adjustment made after the Patriots uh, lost on the road to the Giants as a favorite. Uh, the Chargers had yet to play the Sunday night game, yet they were posted as five-and-a-half-point uh, road favorites. They then went out and lost that game to Baltimore. No shame in that. They were underdogs, and even though the final margin was 10, it was basically a three-point game before uh, the Chargers got that final uh, touchdown. So it was a more competitive game than the final score might suggest, and that does explain why that line was bet up from five and a half to uh, six. Uh, Lions at the Saints. Interesting move in the total in this one. The advance line uh, for the total was 45, yet when the game was reposted Sunday night, uh, the Saints were 43 and a half point favorite so it was adjusted downwards okay. public didn't agree with that that game is now up and over the posting of the the advance line of 45 to the saints and lions now total of 46 falcons and jets also had another interesting move in the uh, uh in, in their total the game uh, opened or the advance line was 35 and a half, and that's where that game uh, was opened on sunday night uh, the line however has gone down uh, to 33 and a half, which made me do a quick look at the rosters of the offensive players on both teams. And I could not find many uh, former Iowa Hawkeyes on the roster. So it has to be, has to be due to some uh, more fundamental differences as both teams have really struggled on offense. Uh, but both teams have actually shown surprise. Well, no surprise for the Jets with their good defense. I think Atlanta's defensive improvement this year uh, is somewhat of a surprise. Yeah. Uh, looking at the uh, Dolphins and, and Commanders, we've seen some movement in this one. The advance line had the Dolphins as seven-point road favorites at Washington. The reposted line had them favored by eight, and then that line has moved up to uh, the present time where the Dolphins are now nine-and-a-half-point uh, road favorites. So if you like the Commanders, you may want to wait and see if it touches 10. If you uh, like the uh, Dolphins, you may want to be on alert and see if you start seeing those 10s, grab that 9.5. I'm not quite sure if it hits 10. It'll go down below 9.5 because we'll see the two-way action that forced it to 10 in the first place. Uh, the final early game, uh, Denver at uh, Tennessee. Again, another interesting move in the total. The advanced line 
uh, Denver at Houston was 44 and a half. And before it came down, that had been bid up to a total of 45. It has was reposted at that 45. It's been bid up to 47 and a half between uh, those two teams who uh, may, in effect, end up uh, deciding that final playoff spot in the uh, AFC based upon what we talked about a little bit earlier as far as their recent improvement. Browns at Rams, we talked about that game, and there was interesting movement in this one. The advance line had the Rams add a pick'em. And this is before, of course, uh, uh, they were actually bet up to a one-point home favorite uh, before, of course, uh, the concussion to the uh, Cleveland quarterback uh, and the uh, injury to uh, Miles Garrett. Nonetheless, the game uh, was reposted with the Rams a three-point uh, home favorite. At that point, it was expected that uh, Thompson, uh, the quarterback, would be uh, out and we would be seeing possibly Flacco. So that line uh, was actually bet up as high as the Rams five point home favorites. It's since come back down to three and a half, probably with the news of Flacco, the experienced and healthy quarterback getting the start. And as uh, uh, Mark mentioned, more encouraging reports about Miles Garrett's uh, availability. The big game of the weekend also had some very interesting line movements and that's San Francisco at Philadelphia. Eagles in advance line of one and a half at home. Line made a lot of sense, uh, even though these are two elite teams and San Francisco, the better team. Uh, but Philadelphia and their great record at home, especially under Jalen Hurts, I think they're 14 and two straight up since the start of the 2022 season. Uh, yet when the uh, line was reposted Sunday, it actually opened a pick em, and the early movement has pushed the 49ers up to two and a half point road favorites and actually uh, since I'm using the uh, Westgate for uh, consistency purposes, they're the ones with those advanced lines. There is at least one book in town about an hour ago uh, that actually had San Francisco a three-point road favorite minus 105. That may have gone back down. I, I would think that it may have gone back down. I did expect to see the line reach three, and then I expected money to come in on the Eagles. I'm not quite sure where this will settle, although based upon what we've observed throughout the season, very often, and we saw it last week, for example, with the uh, a Patriots-Giants game where the Patriots, I think, opened five or, or four and a half. The game went all the way down to three. It ended up closing at four and a half, so the money came back in. This game on Sunday night opened at Pickham. It's gotten at, as high as three, two and a half in most places, so I wouldn't be surprised if the late money does come in on Philadelphia, albeit San Francisco, a, a very public team. Finally, the Monday night game, Cincinnati at Jacksonville. The advance line had the Jaguars seven-point home favorites uh, before we saw Sunday's games. We saw the uh, the difficulties that the Bengals had uh, with Jake Browning replacing uh, Joe Burrow, who's out for the season, and also without T. Higgins last week. And so the Jaguars were installed as eight-point home favorites over uh, what appeared to be a hapless Cincinnati offense. We don't know if Higgins will be back this week. And that line has since bet up to uh, eight and a half. So uh, those were the significant moves. Eight and a half is a key number for those who like to play teasers on favorites, where you can tease eight and a half down six points to two and a half. If that line goes up to nine, and I'm surprised that it's not up there, although the, the action may force it, it puts you on a six-point teaser. It puts you down with a possible push or no action on that uh, part of the teaser uh, with uh, uh, the Jaguars at three. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, rather than do it now, they're waiting for some later action or seeing what happens here to see if that line doesn't go to nine or above. Or, and if it goes to nine, maybe the folks would consider six-and-a-half-point teasers to get that vital two-and-a-half below three to turn what could be a push into a potential win if the Jaguars win by a field goal as they did last week. 
Well, Andy, as you mentioned here, a lot of these line moves, a lot of them are predicated upon injuries as they are often, most often times. And we're seeing a lot of that this year, as we talked earlier about uh, the backup quarterbacks getting an abundance of time. And I got to share with you guys, it was, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I kind of had the sweats and I was thinking to myself, if I'm going to get tested at the end of the season and have to name the names of these backup quarterbacks that played this year, I'm going to fail the test. There are just too many of them. Uh, Jake from Jake Browning to uh, uh, Robert Thompson Robinson. Uh, my goodness, it just goes on and on and on in the National Football League. And uh, I only hope, Andy, uh, between now and then, that the National Football League does something, does something to – better protect these quarterbacks so there aren't so many injuries in these football games. I don't know what that ends up being, but uh, all I know is the product has really eroded this football season here, and I would really like to see it turn around come the other way. Well, you know, uh, you know as, part, as part of that, we've actually seen over the years the NFL take more and more precautions against the quarterback. In fact, if you take a look at a lot of these roughing the passer uh, calls that have been made, most of them are should not be roughing the passers. You know, you have a, a, an instant of a second, if you're a defender, to all of a sudden go from lunging forward at the quarterback as he releases the football or as he's about to go out, 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 out of bounds, it's virtually, if not impossible, to stop in midair or as you're about to leave off your feet that split second before the ball is released. Uh, the injuries, I think, uh, sometimes it's the way they land when they're hit. Uh, sometimes it's uh, it's when they're trying to run, they get tackled. I'm not sure that the NFL can do all that much more to uh, prevent the injuries. What I think is happening, or what, I, and I think we've heard uh, a lot of commentators and others uh, associated with uh, evaluating what's what's happening in the NFL. It was the collective bargaining agreement that reduced the amount of practice time during the preseason so that even though the quarterbacks are protected, the offensive linemen, and it goes through what we talked about a little earlier before the show with the, the uh, lack of production, they're not getting the time to uh, work on their techniques to build up uh, their strength and stamina as far as being able to be ready for the regular season. Of course, they eliminated that fourth preseason game uh, as well. So I think the NFL needs to consider some fundamental uh, adjustments, uh, like we were talking again uh, earlier about the offensive linemen maybe being a little bit liberalized because, yeah, the defensive players have gotten so quick and so fast, and there are, and there are fewer restrictions on them at the line of scrimmage than they are on the offensive players. And I think that is why I think we've seen a lot of, I don't have the numbers, but I have to believe based upon what I've seen and observe, you know, and, and heard from others that sacks are up this year collectively. And again, that's a testament to uh, the, the difficulties that the offensive lines are having. And by the way, a lot of the injuries to the offensive linemen cause a lot of shuffles in the offensive lines that are out there. And of course that takes a lot of timing for them to get used to playing with one another. And that, and you can miss your assignments if you're not familiar with what the guy to your left or the guy to your right is going to do because it's the first time you're playing with them. So there are a lot of issues uh, that have to deal with safety and at the same time, uh, be concerned that the uh, that uh, it's not right the integrity of the game, but the enjoyment of the game. What we've known as football uh, uh, is is getting close to what we're used to seeing uh, without the uh, uh, the negative uh, uh, effects of the injuries that uh, were pervasive for many years. You know, well, uh, go ahead, Victor. I'm sorry. What perplexes me is the fact that uh, why does the NFL not allow each team to carry? three quarterbacks on their active roster with no impact toward roster size. I mean, that's just a small little fix right there where each team could have at least three quarterbacks. Can anybody answer that? 
That's a great question without it having an impact to the roster size. And that's the whole key. You know, they don't want to devote uh, that third quarterback because it eats up space on the roster size. And that could well be a real so good fix. So as a consequence, we get uh, 14, 15, 16 quarterbacks uh, starting who did not start in week one of this season. And we've talked about the poor quarterback play all season long. I just That's your result. Yep. And it translates into some of the issues on offense. If you're constantly going with different quarterbacks, the offense is going to take some games to uh, uh, to get familiar with all the nuances from quarterback A to the backup. I think we wrote in the newsletter this week that uh, last week, Jake Browning became, I think, the 20th different starting quarterback in the National Football League this year. Uh, it's, it's almost preposterous uh, where it's going, but – I mean, we can bang on this. You mean, you mean 20th different backup starter? starter. Yes, tw- yeah, backup yeah. starters. Yeah. Yes, 20 different backup starters. Yes, yeah. not not including the regular starters. Exactly right. So you got 20 backup starters, different backup starters making starts. You know that there's, there's a problem, and it does need to be fixed. There are multiple things that we can do. A uh, NFL minor league, an NFL developmental league, um, uh, tiering offensive holding penalties so that you have a couple different levels instead of an automatic 10-yard penalty uh, for a call that's not as egregious, bring it down to five. I, uh, still, there are so many things that we can do to uh, improve scoring in pro football. By the way, another thing we I, I mentioned about roughing the passer, why not have you know the uh, 15-yard penalty or a five-yard penalty, right. as in roughing the uh, kicker or running into the kicker? And I think that yep. roughing the passer uh, plays to a large extent especially if they're close, should be reviewable. And if they put in the roughing versus versus uh, uh, running into, uh, that that might be a reason to do it. I mean, I, I've always felt that, and I know it slows the game down, but almost every call should be reviewable, whether it's a, except for penalties perhaps that are not called. And you could even make an argument that maybe those two, when they're blatant and, you know, cost a team a trip to the Super Bowl a few years ago, quite likely, uh, that those should be reviewed. You want to get it right. These are things we didn't have when football was being played prior to like the mid-1960s and into the 1980s when the technology was such that you can slow things down. We have so many cameras, you get different angles. You want to get it right, even at the expense of longer games. Yeah, such as the Josh Allen horse collar issue last week. Yep. Uh, it, it was not reviewable. Uh, and just because an official missed the play, it, it – it, it, Buffalo ends up being penalized because of it. And, you know, with like you say, with the instant replay, it shouldn't be that way in this NFL that we play in today. Hey, guys, uh, with that, let's move over to our roundtable, if we will. Uh, good segment we enjoy doing things with here with our uh, producer, Greg De Palma. I know Greg has got some questions, and Victor, Andy, and I have some answers, Greg, if you've got them. How's it going, guys? Uh, we are uh, over 500 subscribers now on the channel. Nice. So we've nice. reached that goal. Next goal, 600. So, again, we're trying to get to 1,000 by the Super Bowl. Let's see if we can accomplish that. Um, you guys were talking uh, about the Bills before and that Eagle game. So I want to start up there. And I know that the Bills' schedules, it's tough when they come off the bye. There's no question. But they're, 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 they're right there as far as being in the hunt for the playoffs. And I just thought it was a little uh, off base by the uh, – the, the, the team, the TV team last week, especially the host, to constantly bring up how this was almost like a must win for the Bills. Like the Bills had to win if they were going to be a playoff team. This is a must win. 
which I, I just don't, I don't get why it had to be a must win. Sure. It would have been nice to win. It would have been good to keep some momentum going with the, with the coordinator change. But here's the other thing. And again, I know there's a tough schedule, but they're 50 to one to win the Super Bowl, And they played a pretty damn good football game in Philly and maybe should have won. Isn't that like the best bargain out there right now? I, I would say, I, I would say, go ahead, Andy. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, at 50 to one, they do face a tough schedule. And by the way, definition of must win only applies when a loss eliminates you from playoff contention. And that was Absolutely. not the case. Critical right. win, crucial win. Usually it is, it is not a must win. They got another chance. They still have a chance to make the playoffs, even though the chances are reduced by virtue of that loss. But yeah, at 50 to one, they have the talent to win. And the reason why you could consider them as opposed to Cincinnati, who probably has even longer odds, is that Josh Allen is still playing football. Joe Al, uh, uh, Joe Burrow is not for Cincinnati. And, you know, the Bills are used to playing competitive football. Yeah, it's a tough schedule. They do have to resign themselves in almost certainly making the playoffs as a wild card because I'm not sure. Yeah, they do have another game against Miami, and we'll see if Miami struggles before they, they meet. And, of course, they've already beaten Miami, so a win at Miami would actually be worth two games in the standings. It would be the actual game that they gain, plus the fact that they would hold a tiebreaker if they tie. So I think that that's still reason enough to say, yeah. And, and by the way, you know, Many teams now have won the Super Bowl coming out of the wild card round. Yeah. And basically, wild card round doesn't mean anything anymore because only one team gets a bye. So of the 14 teams that make the playoffs to win the Super Bowl, 12 of them are going to have to play the extra game. Only the two number one seeds aren't. So I think it's easier for wild card teams to uh, win the Super Bowl because there are only two that won't be playing that extra game. So, yeah, I would say, Greg... Maybe you ought to hold off posting this video until all of us have had a chance to take that 50 to one odds. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. That, that seems like a lot of value to me. You know, if a team makes it into the playoffs and sneaks in at the end by playing some really good football down the stretch, that very often, that momentum oftentimes carries over. And if it carries over to a team like Buffalo, who is uh, predicted to win their division at the beginning of the football season, that could end up being a real nice play. So kudos to Greg on sniffing that one out. Buffalo at 50 to one, I think has to be a shot. Vic. Oh, I'm with you guys. Definitely. The weird thing is, is there are what uh, seven teams in the NFL that are 15 to one or lower. And then everybody else is at 50 to one or higher. So the weird thing for me is there are no teams in the NFL in the, in the range of, Greater than 15 to 1 or less than 50 to 1. There's no 20 to 1, 25 to 1, 30 to 1. I mean, Jacksonville is the 15 to 1 team, and Buffalo is the 50 to 1 team. Just using that as an example alone, where's the value? It's on the 50 to 1. Yeah, did you say that there are 15 such teams? No, I said that there are seven teams at 15 to 1 or better odds. Everybody else in the league is at 50 to one or higher right now to win a Super Bowl. Okay, so they so they're they still haven't filled out. So that means that there'll be several teams in the playoffs as wild cards who are at what 50 to one or higher or yep. higher, right? Right, including uh, the NFC South champ. Right, right, exactly. Uh, uh, Seattle is 65 to one. Cleveland 65 to one. Pittsburgh 70 to one. Houston seventy-five to one, Denver seventy-five to one. There you have it. You Maybe just take Buffalo all those teams. The number seven seed, though, guys. 
because number seven seeds have not never won a playoff game. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only I think there's only been what four of them. I think so. <laughs> last two years. Uh, speaking of the Eagles, so the Eagles are playing a huge game this week against San Francisco. They've had back to back really big wins, tough wins down the stretch. So you do wonder, you know, three weeks, three games, you know, how they can handle this. But maybe they can handle it, uh, Andy, because they're a three-point home dog to the team that they beat in the NFC Championship game. That's going to be, uh, you would think, a little bit of extra motivation. Well, it's it's interesting because this is a revenge game for San Francisco. Now, if you go back two weeks, okay, before the uh, Eagles played, uh, uh, who was it, uh, Kansas City and uh, uh, the uh, Buffalo, Buffalo Bills, okay, Philly was, uh, what were they, 8-1, and one, and the 49ers were 6-3, and three, I believe. There was a really good chance before those games were played that Philadelphia would lose one of the two games against Buffalo or Kansas City, especially Kansas City on the road, and that San Francisco would win both of their games so that entering this game, the Eagles would have been 9-2, and two, and the 49ers would have been 8-3, and three, meaning that if the 49ers were in that situation and beat Philadelphia this week, they would both be uh, at 9-3, and three, and the 49ers would have the home field advantage if things played out that they, let's say, they each ran the table uh, and ended up with the identical record and would host a potential NFC championship game or other playoff game against Philadelphia. The fact that Philadelphia has won both of those games means that even if the 49ers uh, win this week, the Eagles still have a one-game edge over the 49ers by virtue of sweeping Buffalo and Kansas City. So it does lessen the importance of this game for Philadelphia and keeps it more important, or actually it lessens it from a fundamental standpoint as far as San Francisco goes because they would then need help even with a win. But they'd like to be able to get into a position where, yeah, Philadelphia might lose next week to Dallas, San Francisco, you know, play Seattle at home after beating them on the road. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, that's probably part of the reason for the line move from Pickham where, again, the reposted line opened up to as high as a three-point favorite. At the same time, when we briefly talked about it earlier, Philadelphia has just been so un unbelievable at home. In fact, the two games they lost at home were last year. One was a late season, I believe, almost a throwaway game against New Orleans, and I forget the other one. Oh, the other one's earlier in the year when their unbeaten season ended with the loss to uh, Washington. So they've they've been really in a difficult uh, situation for to be defeated. And, of course, uh, when you look at this game, you do give San Francisco an edge, I think, in uh, in defense overall, although Philadelphia's defense is, is good but not uh, uh, at the level of San Francisco's. Uh, you give the edge to the Eagles with the quarterback and Hurts. Uh, I give the running back edge to San Francisco, but not by a lot. DeAndre Swift has done well for the, for the uh, Eagles. The key is in the receiving core for both teams, and I rate that even, and that makes for a very compelling matchup. You know, when I look at a game like this, guys, and I see a big line movement like this going against a really good team, you know, the team with the, heck, let's face it, the best record of the National Football League, I see it's, really a good team and you ask yourself why did this happen what are the reasons and you go into your checklist of edges and you're looking at uh, is what what's going on here did this occur did this occur did that occur and going down these things first of all one of the major first initial moves was because of obviously 
the revenge from the playoffs last year. You know, San Francisco's won this game and had it circled since last year, uh, big time. Uh, another reason I think uh, that this line moves is uh, I think Philadelphia is the National Football League's equivalent to the Washington Huskies right now. And when I say that, I'm saying I'm talking about a football team that looks glamorous in the win-loss record column, but they are not playing well statistically. Uh, Washington's taking a lot of steps backwards right now. The Huskies are, and so too are the Philadelphia Eagles. They've been out-yarded in each of the last four games in a row and solidly out-yarded in each of the last four games, over 115 yards a game average. They're playing a lot like the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you will, in that same sense, Uh, you know, winning games with smoke and mirrors, if you will. So all these things contribute to these line moves. So you take a step back and say, okay, after the dust is settled, is it a valid line move? That's the question here. And uh, if you feel it's a valid line move, you can go ahead and back the team that you liked originally, if you like San Francisco, and go ahead and do it. If you feel it's there for a lot of the wrong reasons, you can make your case for uh, Philadelphia here. So it depends on which pair of glasses you're going to look at this football game through. You know, by, by the way, let me just mention, because it's I'm going to draw an analogy between this game and a game that was played last week where uh, I could not understand why the New England Patriots were – favored, much less favored by more than a field goal at the New York Giants. You had a 2-8 and team taking on a, uh, what, a 3-8 and team. So you got two bad football teams and you're making them a road favorite. Here you've got two, let's call them elite football teams. You know, they met in the championship game last year. They've been uh, playoff teams, uh, you know, often in the last several years. Here it's a little bit more understandable in making the road team uh, with the weaker record a favorite on a favorite on the road at another elite team, and interestingly, I like the way that that Mark explained it. I look at it as you're giving me an elite team capable of beating any team in the league as almost a three-point underdog, regardless of how they've played. This is a Philadelphia team that has shown resiliency throughout the season. Interestingly enough, by the way, San Francisco is, and this may be a point for the 49ers. They're in the same situation the Eagles were last week when they were seeking to avenge a Super Bowl loss on the road uh, again, at home. And San Francisco is now seeking, albeit on the road, to avenge a loss uh, in the NFC Championship game, which is almost as important as the Super Bowl because a win gets you there. So it's just a difference in why a road favorite in one situation makes no sense and in the other sense, in the other situation, uh, and I'm not playing results because I said this before the game, last week with New England and the Giants and why it does make sense in this in this situation because I, I you know and we you mentioned it before the line hit three that's where I expect the buyback to come I said it may go back towards the opening because we saw that but I think you can make a compelling case for either San Francisco or um, uh, Philadelphia whereas in the game that I just alluded to you were making a stronger case against either the Giants or the Patriots you know, Andy, I, before I hand this back over to Greg, uh, I want to make one comment. You mentioned the New England Patriots and why they were favor, even favored, let alone being favored more than a field goal in a football game, when it intents and purposes, they probably couldn't even beat themselves in a, in a practice. But in the newsletter this week, in the Playbook newsletter, we brought out a really, really interesting point. And it's like when I came across this, I said, oh, my goodness, I got I to share this. And what it is, is uh, you go back to 2019 in the National Football League and you'll find a total of 295 games that have been played where a team held an opponent to 10 or fewer points. In those 295 times he occurred, those teams won 287 
of those. This year, New England has done it twice and lost <laughs> both football games <laughs> twice in one year. So right. that's the sort of season Bill Belichick's having. Uh, did, by the way, and, and let's go back to the to the end of that game in overtime. And after the after uh, Allen misses Davis in the end zone, and and uh, not no fault of his. I mean, you know, there was a screw up there. He had to get the ball off early. Allen went one way. I mean, Davis went one way. The ball went the other way. I'll be honest with you. I, I wanted him to go for it. And the reason I wanted him to go for it and not kick the field goal is exactly what happened in the game. And I think there's probably a lot of Buffalo Bills fans that felt the same way I did, was no, do not give the Eagles a chance to come down in the field, score a touchdown, and beat us. We need to win the football game. And let's get it. We, it we'll put it we're going to put it in the hands of Josh Allen. It's fourth down. It's, a, it's what, fourth and five, whatever it was. It's a reasonable distance. He's been dominating the football game. I want, I want our superstar to have the game in his hands, not our defense. Unquestionably, that's what you want is the ball in the hands of your superstar in crunch time. And it's another reason I think that they're a very poorly coached football team, the Buffalo Bills are. I think Sean McDermott, I think his days are numbered in Buffalo, especially if they don't make the playoffs this year with all the talent they have on hand. All right. You know, I was I was thinking about that as well. And I, I think the, the situation for Buffalo is a loss – was be more costly than a tie. Let's get the three points. Let's hope our defense can shut down Philadelphia. The most likely situation in those in that case would be that Philadelphia would normally get in position to kick a field goal, not take too many too many chances, even on a, a fourth and two, let's say from the 17 yard line or whatever. They happen to get break that uh, hurts uh, hurts happen to have that that big run, because if they end up holding them to a field goal, the most likely scenario would be either Buffalo goes down and gets a late field goal to win, or the game ends ends in a tie. So I'm thinking that was the advantage because that way, in order for the only way that, that the Eagles were likely to win the game under normal circumstances would be they need a touchdown. They either, they either accept the tie themselves and hope they can stop Buffalo from ending the game because I don't think there'd be more than one possession with Buffalo getting it back in a 34-34 tie. The game either ends with Buffalo winning or the more likely scenario is the 10 minutes expire and the game goes as a tie, which I think is less costly for Buffalo should it come down to tiebreakers. If you're, you know, if you're, let's say, 9-7-1 and one versus 9-8, and eight, that's an advantage. Yeah, and it's NFC game anyway as well. Um, by the yeah. way, same situation. I don't know what you guys thought, but last week, especially in the college games, it just seemed that there were a lot of close games, rivalry games, and yet the favored found a way to win, like every time, and including the Alabama game. And I got to tell you, hand in my heart, I did not think the game was over on that final play. Knowing Alabama, knowing Auburn, if Auburn was in that situation with the ball in their hands and, and fourth and 30, game over. But with Alabama, with the ball, you just knew the game wasn't over. I'm not saying I, I thought they were going to win. It just this game ain't over. The announcer actually said, "Well, you think they should kick a field goal and try to get the ball, get the ball back on the onside kick?" No, 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 no. That's ridiculous. Just go ahead. You can complete this. And it's just amazing, though, how because maybe it's uh, I'm old, maybe I'm cynical, but. I just I look at that and I think a lot of younger kids today probably thought it was the most amazing thing ever. I just looked at it as, oh yeah, it's Alabama, it's Auburn. I'm not was, surprised. Was, was the game a few years ago? Was it the final play 
on the famous Auburn pick six, or is there still time left? I think it was the final play of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so, uh, yeah. 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 Maybe that was part of the thinking. Right. Weird things happen at the end of Alabama-Auburn games. That is definitely for sure. And, in fact, that game did not go over the total until that final touchdown (laughs) as well for us people. Oh, the the, uh, the defensive touchdown? Fighting on our nails for the whole game. It took that final 29-yard uh, or whatever it was, touchdown pass. Oh, that one. Okay. To push it over the total okay. also. Yeah. I'm right. just glad I didn't have Auburn on a money line. That's all I can say. All right. Yeah. Uh, as far as that Washington game you guys were referencing, all right, it's one thing to be a dog, but I'm just completely shocked that, the, that it's a nine-and-a-half-point spread. I'm just shocked. I mean, well, did you what, guys think you know, this game was going to be close to What the odds makers are saying here, Greg, is this. is First of all, they are first and foremost handicappers. They're extraordinary handicappers. And they see the pulse of this Washington football team. A little bit of what I was alluding to before in the fact that uh, since they beat Oregon, they've really taken all kinds sure. of major steps backwards. Right. Still won football games, but taken a lot of steps backwards. Where Oregon has not relented. And you know this is a major revenge game for Oregon coming in. It would be very, very difficult for any team to beat Oregon two times in one year, especially this kind of an Oregon football team. So you expected them to be favored here. I thought maybe more in the five or six range. Yeah. You know, but I'm a little bit perplexed myself, too. This is a big, tall number. And the thing that really gets me to this game is the fact that uh, Caleb DeBoer, their head coach, is outstanding as an underdog in his career. Uh, and you're giving him a lot of points in a big, big football game. Yeah, the line is where it's at for a reason. It definitely is. But Mark's right. Washington has already plateaued. They peaked, and it probably was about three or four weeks ago, while Oregon, since that loss to Washington, they look like almost the best team in all of college football. They keep right. getting better by the week, the Ducks. You're right. Yep. Yeah, and I'm also looking. I, I want to see now. Remember, this game is being played Friday night, so we'll see maybe some earlier action on this game, maybe on Thursday than we would normally see for a game being played on Saturday. As a lot of folks get uh, get involved as we get closer to uh, kickoff, so within 24 hours, I haven't seen this line hit 10 yet. That's what I'm waiting for because despite all the issues that Washington has had, they've still managed to win football games. That gives you a lot of confidence even when you're down, as has uh, occasionally been the case. So I could I, look, would I be surprised if Oregon wins this game 38 to uh, you know, seven? Maybe seven, maybe not 38-17, I wouldn't be surprised. But I, I think the way that I have to look at playing this game is taking the points with Washington, especially if it hits 10, figuring that Oregon will be just happy to win this game. But whatever the margin, and if they do win this game because it's a conference championship game and because they played down the stretch, even a three-point win, I'm, I'm almost certain, would push them ahead of Washington in the pecking order to make the playoffs. Oh, yeah. It may not it may not be good enough, but sure. then again, what happens if Texas struggles in their game against a lesser opponent in Oklahoma State and have manages to win? What happens if Georgia ends up sweeping Alabama? I think that there's still a real good chance that the Pac-12 will get a representative. Uh, and if, if Florida State struggles but wins a close one against Louisville, although I think being unbeaten would get them in there. But I would think that regardless, if, if Oregon wins and they have to compare the two one-loss teams from the Pac-12, 
Oregon would have the advantage because, again, uh, they uh, they outplayed Washington in that first game that they lost by three and uh, will have supposedly outplayed them if they win this game, even if it's another three-point margin. Let, let me say this also, guys, about this game. We don't want to beat it to death, but uh, uh, I, I alluded to uh, Kalen DeBoer before and what a great coach he is. Since he's taken over this program, he's 23-2. and two. He's only lost two games with the Washington Huskies. And in his career – when he's gone up against teams where he's had the better record, he's 15 and one straight up on the scoreboard, which means that if you like Washington, you probably want to put a little sprinkle on the, on the money line here as yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. I, I will just ask you one question on that, on that 15 and one was Washington an underdog in any of those games when they had the better record? I, I would say likely not. Okay. Yeah. Let alone 10. <laughs> no, no, meaning, meaning that he, that with the better record, they basically did the, what they were expected to do. Sure. I'm going to try and do that. I'm going to try and look that up while we're doing the show here, guys. So I'll let you know before okay. we sign off. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and it'll be interesting because you've got these situations where teams like Washington and Florida State, you know, they've had great seasons, and it's going to take one loss in these yeah. championship games to knock them out. And then they, because forget Florida State, they lose, they're out. Washington still has a shot if they lose, but chances are out. Everybody wants Georgia to beat Alabama. Everybody. Because if Alabama wins, it's going to be awfully hard for the committee to, what are they going to do? Alabama just beat Georgia on a neutral field. Well, Alabama's better than Georgia, right? Have to be. And then that means what? You're going to knock Georgia out of the playoffs? Or you can have two SEC teams. Or, are you, I mean, really, you could have no SEC teams if everything falls the way it could, which would be incredible. Just imagine if Florida State won. Just imagine if Texas won. Just imagine if Michigan and Washington won. That's it. You get And, and Alabama beats Georgia. No SEC teams in the playoffs. Well, it, it, that would then come down to a one-loss Texas team and a one-loss Alabama team. And Alabama lost That's to right. Texas earlier in the at, year. So, at home, right. Yeah. Yeah. So who would they choose, Alabama or nope. Texas? They better not. <laughs> They'll have a big big issue. But um, let me get you guys uh, predictions then, if, if, if you can. Can you give predictions on who you, which four teams uh, you think will be in the playoffs? I'll let you guys start it out while I'm doing the board here, okay? Andy? Um, Michigan. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, I'm going to go with Washington. I think they're going to make it. I think Florida State will make it. And it's interesting because I could certainly see Alabama beating Georgia. And it may come down to how impressive Texas beats their weaker foe, Oklahoma State. So I'll go with uh, Washington because I do think they have a legitimate chance to pull the upset because all the coach has to do is say, hey, you guys aren't not, not only expected to win this game against the team you beat earlier, you're expected to lose by double digits, yeah, basically. That's, that's a huge motivating absolutely. thing. But So I'm going to go with Washington to complete the unbeaten season. I'll go with uh, Florida State to do the same, and so certainly a small number for them to cover at 2-2.5. Two, two uh, Michigan, of course. So who the, wins the, the SEC championship the, the, game? Yeah, the, the final one will be, I'll, you know, by the way, Alabama I, has never lost to Georgia in the SEC championship game. Four and yeah, all time. Right. In fact, it was, I think it was a few years ago when they got revenge in the championship game, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later. But, yeah, they did win the championship game. Maybe we'll have the same uh, setup this year. We, we, you know, I, I'd love to make it tough on the committee and say 
Alabama beats Georgia, and so you have to choose between Alabama, Georgia, and Texas. But that would prevent me from giving an opinion on who the fourth team will be. So I'll go with Georgia. Okay. So, so you're going to go with just, four. Just in, Caleb DeBoer, underdog two times in those games, won both of them straight up. One of them this year against Oregon State, by the way. Okay. There you go. And another one so, against Texas go. in a bowl game. So Andy's got four undefeated teams in the playoffs. Vic? Uh, well, I'll tell you what I'm uh, rooting for okay. or, what I, or who I truly feel are the four strongest teams in college football, and that would be Michigan, Georgia, Oregon, and Texas. Okay. Mark? I think we're going to see Alabama beat Georgia this week. Okay. So we're going to topple the top three undefeated teams, which I think then would put Alabama into the playoff. Okay. Along with Georgia. So we've got two one-win teams. Along with Georgia. Uh-oh. Yeah, so, how could Georgia not be? So that means Florida State is going to lose. I don't think even if Florida State won, I think they'd take Georgia ahead of them personally because of undefeated. the quarterback situation. Right. Oh. Wow. So, so if I'm right, if Alabama does upset Georgia – and Georgia gets there along with them, you would have to also put Michigan in there. And uh, who's the number three ranked team right now? You got to have a Pac-12 team. Uh, number three is Washington right now. Well, well, maybe, maybe not. If Oregon beats Washington, then you have two more one-loss teams. Mark? Well, if Oregon beats Washington, we might have three one-loss teams in there. <laughs> right. That's true. Mark, Mark, let me ask you well, this. How about Texas? Well, that's when, that's when the that's when the all – the, the, you know what hits the fan, okay? Well, Mark, you, you mentioned Florida State might be out even if they beat Louisville, because of the most likely because of the quarterback situation. And secondarily, the ACC wasn't that strong this year. What if Florida State beats Louisville 45-10, to 10, basically saying they overcame against a good team, not a adversity, great team, right. the adversity by putting 45 points on the board, assuming there are you know no more than one defensive or special teams touchdown. So Florida State validated the fact that they can win impressively in an important game against a uh, quality uh, opponent. Would that change your thinking at all about Florida State? I'll say this, Andy. Uh, that's a great question. And if Florida State were to win as impressively as that, I think that should automatically keep them there. And then – the way the other dominoes would fall would have to be dependent upon how they fell. But I think it would be real difficult to take Florida State out if they come off an, a very impressive win. If they come out with anything less than impressive, a mediocre win or less, I think they could be pushed out. And then, of course, you'd be taking a look at Washington and Oregon. If Washington beats Oregon, but it's another close game, Okay, Oregon would be eliminated having lost twice, but then you might have Washington in a situation similar, even though they're unbeaten, to the situation you had Florida State in just a moment ago with, let's say, an unimpressive win against Louisville. That might enable Texas to make it in, or you might have, in addition to Michigan, uh, you might have uh, uh, Texas, Georgia, and Alabama in there as well, depending upon what happens in those other two games, because uh, they might uh, they might not take Washington. In other words, it would be easier in those in the two scenarios I described to eliminate both Washington and Florida State, even if both were unbeaten, and allow them to take Georgia if uh, they if they lose to Alabama, the, also take Alabama and Texas. I would like nothing better as as a part of someone as part of the media, but. First of all, that is never going to happen. And second of all, if it does, I'd love it. 
I would just love to yeah. see the reaction in Washington and Florida State if they went undefeated and didn't get in and they put two SEC teams in. I just, it would be amazing. <laughs> or truthfully, put two one-loss teams in. You yes, know? exactly. Two yeah, one-loss right, teams right. from the SEC. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to especially wrap. especially when one especially if it somehow leaves Texas out for yeah. whatever reason who beat one of the two yes. one lost SEC right, teams right. on the yeah. road. Yeah, leave them out too. I'd love it. You know the funny thing, guys, is we will not be having this conversation next year. No, we won't. We'll be talking about the two lost teams that could possibly make. That's it. right. Yeah. No, we won't. And unlike the media and what their problem was with the twelve team or or or, or better format. We are not going to have uh, uh, big complaints about the 13th team that doesn't get in. Okay, no. we have a little bit of a complaint, but we're not going to go off the rails and and be like, "Oh no, this is wrong. Why didn't the 13th team get in?" Just why like didn't, why didn't just like who's the 69th? It, right. Yeah. Who's the 69th team in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, it's no. a, it's a it's a little nice debate. We are a mediocre have. team. Who cares? Exactly, but it goes away in an instant. Nobody cares. Um, Lastly, before I, I go uh, to Andy for your pick of the week, uh, do you guys let's get, get Washington out of the picture? Do you have a, another team that you think might pull off an upset in the Bulls this this, year, uh, this this week? Oklahoma State, New Mexico State, any of these teams that you're looking at? I I could see Miami upsetting Toledo. Okay, uh, I think that's a huge line uh, in that game. I would have said SMU against Tulane, but for the fact that SMU's quarterback is out. And that's a totally that's a huge loss with such little time to prepare. Tulane is playing a second straight conference championship game on their home field. Last year they beat a very good Central Florida team by 17 on that field. Speaking so, of line changes, the SMU quarterback that will be playing has played. He started a game. He's got some playing time, and they like him. He was really highly recruited. Yeah, speaking of line changes, Andy, so you're saying that that happened and the line went down from five to three and a half. Yeah, I, I think the initial line move up was, oh, the quarterback's out, who was such an important part of the offense. Uh, uh, SMU has no chance. And then they took a little bit closer look. Okay. And even though the experience of the backup quarterback is limited, they said, you know what? SMU is so strong that as long as they got someone who's there familiar with the other offensive okay. players, maybe they do stand a chance and the line went back down a little bit. And we'll talk more about uh, SMU's uh, strong schedule. Which, of course, that's being uh, sarcastic on uh, the college football show uh, on the RLS Football Network. Mark and I will do that tomorrow, uh, and then we can go into that. But um, any any other upsets up there, guys? Vic, uh, Mark? Uh, I, I, yeah, sure. I got one. I think that, uh, well, obviously, uh, Mark feels pretty strongly about the, uh, you know, Alabama in terms of Georgia. But I tell you what, I think uh, I think our producer, Greg, just wants us to say UNLV again. Oh, okay. Uh, right? Oh, uh, they're potentially, well, I know the game's at Allegiant Stadium, but they're basically playing host they in are. that Mountain West Championship. They're getting two and a half now against Boise State. They were tied for the best ATS team with two other teams in all of college football at 10 and 2 ATS on the season. And, uh, yeah, the Runner Rebels have a shot to take down Boise I'll, State. I'll tell you what about that game. Interesting enough, uh, the game last week against San Jose State, they did not have a huge crowd from UNLV in that – in that. Uh, That's know, a shame. Cavernous, uh, uh, cavernous Allegiant Stadium. Allegiant you know, Stadium. I'm expecting – a lot of Boise fans to come down for this game. Yep. It almost might might be like an NFL crowd where like a Charger crowd partial, yeah. yeah. Well, 
not quite as bad as a Charger crowd, but uh, the Raiders have uh, the Raiders have not had the majority or a significant majority of the fans for a number of their games. But that's a little bit different with the uh, NFL. By the way, talk about another upset. It's difficult to see because Liberty is unbeaten, but New Mexico State is playing with such confidence. And even last week, what happened? After winning by 24 points on the road at Auburn, you know, at, at, by the, when they won by 21 as 24-point underdogs, they're not going to be intimidated by going into Liberty. No. They came back last week in what was the the hugest of letdown spots possible. Right. You beat a team, you beat an SEC team, you beat them on the road, and you beat them by three touchdowns, and you're playing for your conference championship next week. They came back and won last week as a small underdog. Yeah. See, we talked about that. They were they were the dogs because everybody thought they weren't playing for anything. Yeah, the, the sandwich and all that. So, yeah. All right, Andy. Uh, what do you got for us? Your pick of the week. Okay, I will continue to go with the NFL and take a game that probably very few people will be watching because it's not exactly a, um, a high-profile game, and that's the game uh, between uh, 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 where is it? Uh, Tampa Bay and uh, Carolina. Uh, the Carolina Panthers continue to have an anemic Offense averaging just 15 points per game, which is 29 uh, ninth. Uh, the uh, the the defense ranks uh, last in forcing just uh, 0.6 takeaways per game. Now at four and seven, the Bucks are no great shakes themselves. This is a class D, excuse me, a class B versus a class C matchup, uh, but they do have several edges, including at quarterback. Although Mayfield is banged up, he is expected to play despite uh, uh, some issues with the ankle. Uh, he has a solid 17 to seven TD to inter- into uh, interception uh, split. Uh, they also have a very strong edge in defending the run. I think this is the kind of game uh, where uh, they were in a spot two two weeks ago. Uh, this is their only home game. This is a home game preceded by two road games and followed by two road games. So if Tampa Bay is going to have any sort of run at the division, uh, in fact, if Tampa Bay wins and New Orleans and Atlanta lose, they'll all be tied atop the NFC South at five and six. So it's an important game for Tampa Bay. They won that game uh, two weeks ago when they were at home, beating Tennessee 20 to six. And they're in a similar situation here. Now that 20 to six win, that was their lone win in a one and six stretch since the uh, uh, they started the season three and one, including that uh, upset at Minnesota to start the season. Um, it's interesting that Tampa Bay won the division last year, despite the fact that they had only an eight and nine record uh, made the playoffs. Uh, there's still enough experience. The defense still has enough to be able to handle a Carolina team that has to be in all sorts of disarray. I don't think the coaching change is going to make much of a difference this week. You still have Young having a lot of issues, and I think Tampa Bay's defense is going to create some issues and get a win. I've got them winning by uh, by 11 points. I've made it uh, 24-13 Tampa. Okay, guys, let's do this. Uh, We want to kind of wrap up the show a little bit here. So let's, uh, if we can, move over to our awesome angle of the week, and then Victor and I will wrap things up with our complimentary plays. Uh, The awesome angle this week is going to be in the National Football League, and we call it Don't Do Me Like That. And what we're looking to do is to play on any NFL non-division dog in game number 12 of the season that has a winning record, and they're taking points from a team that has a losing record. At game 12 of the season, we pretty much established the fact that uh, which way one team is going and which way another team is going. These teams in this role are 12-4 and four straight up and against the spread the dog is since 2000. That happens to be the Cleveland Browns, who we mentioned earlier on in the show. Game 12 winning record, 
taking points from a team with a losing record in a non-division game. That is our awesome angle of the week. And I'm going to hand it off to Victor now. Uh, Victor, if you will, if you let our listeners know what your complimentary play is and what you've got on tap this weekend as well. Well, we do want to thank everybody who joined us for that uh, five-star winner, Eagles and Bills over the total and a very profitable uh, Turkey Day weekend. Of course, everything of ours in terms of our totals available at playbooksports.com or you can uh, get there via our website shortcut. Uh, just type into your web browser pb.buzz, B-U-Z-Z, slash V-K for Victor King. And for our free play of the week, you know, Andy mentioned a game in which probably not a lot of people are going to be watching the uh, NFC South battle that he mentioned. But here's a game that a lot of people are going to be watching in the late afternoon, and we are going to give the ball again to our boy Tuco, who brought it home last week with Dallas to score over 30 and a half. And this week, Tuco's team total is going to be indeed on those San Francisco 49ers to score over 24 and a half points on the road against Philadelphia. We've talked about the big time revenge implications in this particular game. You got to think that San Francisco, if they can, they're going to keep the pedal to the metal. You got to think that San Francisco is going to want to take those football spikes and just clap them right down on the Eagles' throats all game long. Of course, it is that rematch of the NFC Championship game last year in which the Eagles won 31-7. The most important thing for us is the fact that the Niners are now back to full strength on offense. Uh, They're back to averaging 30 points per game on offense. In fact, last three games, 30.7. Not only that, but they have scored 27 or more points in every single game this season in which Trent Williams and Devo Samuel have been healthy and have played. Not only that, but San Francisco actually leads all teams in the league in most points per game on the road this season. Uh, Mark, Touched on it very, very briefly. It's a perfect time to attack an already vulnerable Philadelphia defense that just gave up, what, over 500 yards on offense last week to the Buffalo Bills and 34 points. Uh, This Eagle defense is ranked in the bottom four this season in most points allowed at home this year. And uh, with Philadelphia, of course, installed as that home underdog Despite a 10 and 1 record, I got this out of the database. Game seven or greater home dogs with a 750 or higher winning percentage have allowed 35.8 points per game in the last four seasons. Well, we're going to enjoy that game, at least on the San Francisco side, as uh, Tuchel plays the Niners to go over their team total of 24 and a half points. Uh, best of luck, of course, to uh, everybody this weekend. That's Tuco over the total in the San Francisco 49er football game, this time with Brock Purdy at quarterback, hopefully playing the full game as opposed to what happened in the championship game for Victor's complimentary play. And be sure to download that totals tip sheet in time for this weekend, Red Hot Totals tip sheet at playbooksports.com. Before I get to my complimentary play on the football card this weekend, I want to remind you that this portion of the show is being brought to you once again by our friends at uwager.lv, where it's 5% rebates for all customers 
on their losses, a monthly 5% rebate on your losses at uwager.lv. To take advantage, log on now at uwager.lv or give them a call at 1-800-U-WAGER. My complimentary play on this week's football card in the National Football League will be on the Tennessee Titans as we take on the Indianapolis Colts in this contest here. The Titans have had their way in the series here of late. They've cashed five of the last six games they've played. They have revenge from a 23-16 loss as a two-and-a-half-point road favorite this year. The Colts come in here just 1-5 and five to the spread their last six division road games. And Gardner Minshew, while he's been a nice fill-in, the fact of the matter is, is when he plays some teams that can play a little bit, 333 or better, and they're off a win, he's only 1-9 and nine straight up in his career and 3-7 and seven to the spread in that role. I like Tennessee to get back on the win track here. Tennessee Titans for my complimentary play on the show this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, our good friend Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, and as always, our good friend Jim Feist from Las Vegas, the living legend, for being a part of this show. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.